Also, I, I just encourage you right now that the Lord would grace you that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened and that your ears would be open to the Word of God where it'll sink deep down into your heart today. So we begin here in Mark 7, verse number 20. And the Lord Jesus said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. What, what comes out of us? For from within, out of the heart of men, from within, out of my heart is what defiles me. Now, if you were here the last few weeks in James 1.14, it says a man follows the desires of his heart. And so I believe this just lines back up with it. But he gives us this inventory of the things that come out of our heart. So we continue reading verse 21. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. Now, I read those fairly quick. These are 13 inner vices that none of us are exempt from, and you may have an issue with several of them. You may not have any issue with this one or that one, but we all have desires that try to come upon us like this. So listen to, to some of the wording on this that'll help you. A depraved thought. It also has the meaning sexual impurity, which means porn. It also has indecency, evil eye, blasphemy, boasting, and senselessness. Now, I highlight that again because none of us are exempt from these things. And so these are the things that, that come out of the heart. And, and notice what he ends with in verse 23. All these evil things come within and they defile a man. This is how I, I become defiled. This is how I become off track. And so the, the devil will use these to defile you. He'll try to get you to bite on them. Turn with me to your right to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. And we'll bounce through the New Testament here for a little bit before we make our way back to the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Once you get there, I'll start reading in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Your boasting, your arrogance, your pride, he says, and this is Apostle Paul, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, leaven was a, a symbol for sin is what it was, or hypocrisy. And so he specifically says, just a smidgen, just a small compromise of, of sin or hypocrisy can, can affect or impact the entire batch. He goes on to say in verse 7, therefore purge out the old leaven, and the word purge out literally means clean it out. Get, get rid of the, the small sin. Get rid of the hypocrisy. And, and part of the reason that this, this leavening has a fermenting action that illustrates the corrupting power of evil and also the yeast of sin can spread and will spread if it goes unchecked. And this is what he's talking about. So he says, purge out that, get rid of that. Why? That you may be a new lump. Now, when we give our heart to Jesus, we become new creations in Christ. All things have passed away, all things have become new. He wants us to walk after the new man, not after the old man. 
And he goes on to say, since you are truly unleavened. Now, to purge it out, to clean it out, to get it out of my life, watch how this verse ends. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So how, how am I pure again? How am I cleansed again? Through the Passover, which signified the blood of Jesus. Now, if you've ever studied the Passover, maybe you haven't. In Exodus chapter 12, the Lord had warned the Israelites that the spirit of death was going to come upon them. And the only way that they could escape the spirit of death is they would take this lamb that was without spot or blemish and they would sacrifice him. And the Lord specifically told them, you must apply the blood upon your doorpost. We sang a minute ago, the blood must be applied. This is how they applied it. They marked their homes. And so the night that that spirit of death came through, the only thing that mattered was your life marked by the blood of the lamb? Was your home marked by the blood of the lamb? Now, the Jews to this day, they still, they still celebrate the feast of Passover. It's right around this time right now. And so he begins to give us insight that the way I purge out and the way I become all through the blood of the lamb. I, I got to stay with the blood of Jesus day by day by day. Continue. And so how do we apply the blood? We don't mark our doorposts because of, of we got to go buy a lamb and kill it. But I can mark my doorpost just with an action and say, Father God, I, I speak the blood of Jesus over my home. I speak the blood of Jesus over my doorways. I speak the blood of Jesus. And so he begins to give us insight on things that must take place even in our lives to this day. Now, turn with me back in the Old Testament to Joshua chapter, or Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, the distinguishing mark of the blood of the Lamb. Jeremiah 3, and when you get into Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet that he was named the weeping prophet because he cried a lot. And I believe personally the reason he cried a lot was because he saw the situation the nation and the people of Israel were in. And if you ever study his prophecies, they weren't good prophecies. His prophecies were prophecies of judgment. And I believe through the day you'll see that, that, that God is still. He's still a God of judgment. And so I'm going to highlight this several times today. I believe this is one of the things that will signify the year 2024. It'll be a year of judgment. Might as well get ready. So in chapter 3, verse 25... Jeremiah writes, we lie down in our shame. We lie down in our shame. We've made our bed so we get to sleep in it. Now, how many of you have ever had shame in your life? I've had shame in my life, just like you. Keep reading. And our reproach covers us. The word reproach actually has the meaning of disgrace or dishonor. Now, how many of you ever in here had disgrace or dishonor? Every one of us, probably. Now, look what Jeremiah says that our shame and our reproach is from. He goes on to say, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. 
So when there's shame in my life is a result of sin and the disgrace in my life is a result of sin. The thing about that is that's not all bad, okay? And the reason I say that it's not all bad is because when you have shame in your life and you have disgrace in your life, it's still a sign that your heart is open to God. You realize, my, my heart, man, I, I, I didn't want to disappoint God. The problem we have as human beings is when we have disgrace and we have shame and it no longer bothers us. We become hard-hearted and it's like, you know what? I'm a champion sinner and that's how it is, so la-di-da. So if you're still bothered by your shame, anybody in here about, man, I'm bothered by my shames. I'm bothered by my disgraces, a result of sin. Now look what he goes on and ends this verse. And he says, we, me and you, and our fathers from our youth even to this day and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. So what he gets over on is a thing called obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And so there's something right here that we got to get a hold of today. This thing called obedience. And I don't know if you've ever asked God to grace you with obedience, but I believe it's time we, we really begin to double down on that and say, Lord, I ask you to grace me to obey you. Obey you quickly and quietly. Just, I, I need a sense of obedience in me, maybe that I've never walked in. And I said, ask God to grace you because your flesh probably won't want to obey. A couple pages to your right to, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah 16, verse 10. And it shall be when you show these people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? So they're saying, why is all this chaos? Why is all this calamity? Why is the junk hit the fan? And I believe at times in our life, we become just like the people in Jeremiah's time, that, that you may even raise a fist and say, why God, why is all this happening? Why is all this junk taking place in my life? So this is what they're doing. Now watch what he says here. Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin? Now remember, iniquity is the motivation of my heart. Sin is the action of my hand. And so they bring up both iniquity and sin. And he goes on to say that we have committed against the Lord our God. Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, your ancestors, your bloodline has forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods, idols. They've served them. They've worshiped them. And they have forsaken me. And they have not kept my law. In other words, they wouldn't obey my word. Now, hone in there just for a second, because who did he say? Our fathers. The bloodline is what this is talking about. Verse number 12. And you have done worse than your fathers. Uh-oh. You have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. Now, I highlight this because with this, he's telling us, there is a progression of sin. And, and when you begin to see sin, 
Sin that goes unchecked from generation to generation, it's going to get stronger. And so he says something like, you're worse than your fathers. Keep reading. For behold, each one follows the dictates or the desires of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. So he begins to give the insight here to him and he says, here's the problem. If you're not listening to me, you're sure not obeying me. Now, when I read that, could part of the issues of my life right now, could it be a result of this thing that he's talking about here? My iniquities, my sin, I I haven't obeyed. And so we have this thought, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. But God can't bless us when I disobey him. And so it's easy to pray for the blessing, but what would happen if we begin to ask God to to help me obey? Now, turn with me. We're going to be in in Joshua the rest of the morning. Go back with me to Joshua chapter 6, right after Deuteronomy. And you'll jump into Joshua chapter 6. And so I'm going to set the table a little bit. And maybe you remember this. Maybe you've never heard these stories at all. But God is bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And the first city that they are going to take is a city called Jericho. Now, when they take the city of Jericho, they have to obey God precisely. I encourage you to read the first couple chapters of, of Joshua and you'll begin to see that. But when they take the city of Jericho, God brings them incredible insight. So we're in Joshua 6. Pick up with me in verse 18. And he says to the the children of Israel, And you by all means abstain from the curse things. And so evidently there were some things in Jericho that he said abstain from. Don't, Don't go near them. Don't do that. And when you read in there, abstain from the cursed things, just, just why did he say that? Because he goes on to say, lest you become accursed. Lest you become accursed. If you mess with the cursed things, you're going to become accursed. In other words, you're, you're going to set yourself up for destruction. Now, if we had time to go back and read it, God had said to him all along, I want to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. I, I want to take you to a blessing. But if you mess with those accursed things, you have inflicted yourself with a self-imposed curse. It's not going to be good. Keep reading. When you take of the accursed things and make make the camp of Israel a curse and you trouble it. Now, if you really, really dive in here to what he's talking about, He said, with your actions, you can cause the entire camp, the entire nation to come under a curse. Now, it tells me a couple things there, that your choices and my choices impact more than just me. And then we go back to 1 Corinthians 5 where he said, just just a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just just a little bit of sin will mess up the whole camp. And so when he says there that that you will make the camp of Israel a curse and and you will trouble it, it literally means 
that you will experience the judgment of God. When we say that, people tend to think that God brings judgment, but that's not the truth. We bring judgment upon ourselves. Wow. There's your nugget right there. So when I disobey Father God, I can raise my fist to God all I want. But again, I've brought the judgment upon my own life because my choices and my actions. So this is what he's getting over here. Verse 19. But all the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron, they are consecrated. They are holy. They are set apart to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So when you look at what he says in verse 18 and 19, it's pretty clear. Don't mess with the cursed things and don't mess with the silver or the gold. Don't mess with those. It's not going to be good if you do. Turn one chapter to chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zarah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the cursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. This guy named Achan, he violated the instructions of the Lord. And so it's like the Israelites, when this takes place, they go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. Now, if you read in there real close, at the end of verse 1, it says, and the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. It didn't say it just burned against Achan. It said it burned against the children of Israel. In, in other words, what you see here is very similar to a football team. When one player makes an infraction, the whole team gets penalized. And this is what the Lord's saying right here. Because of his choices, you trespassed. You did what you weren't supposed to do. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now here's the deal. Jericho was the first city. Ai was the second city, okay? And he said, which is beside Bethabin on the east side of Bethel. And he spoke to them saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. So he sends them and says, we got to get a game plan how to attack them. Verse 3. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So what they're saying here is, we don't need to send the varsity. Let's just send the junior varsity. We don't need to send the A team. Let's send the B team. Because they're not, they're not strong at all. We'll wipe them out. Now, when they say this, one thing that they don't understand is they are now under a curse. None of them know what, what Achan has done. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men for they chased them from the gates as far as Shearbim and they struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and they became like water. Now, can I tell you real simple what happened in verse five? The Israelites get an old-fashioned rear kick and what happened. And everything on paper says there's no way you can lose. But they lose. 
And, and the Bible says their, their hearts are, are broken. They're like, what's going on? How, how could this happen? Verse number six. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell on the face of his, uh, on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. Now, this was an outward expression of sorrow and grief. I mean, they're, they're brokenhearted. When you start doing that, it's like, man, we, we got to get before God. Verse 7. And Joshua said, alas, Lord God. Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns us back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it, surround us, cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So this is very similar to Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah's got his fist up to God. I believe this is what kind of Joshua was doing. He's mad at God again. He's saying, God, what, what's going on? If I knew, God, you would turn your back on us, then we would have never left Egypt. And so he's mad at God. Now look at God's response in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Quit your pity party. Get up. Verse 11. Israel has sinned. So God tells him immediately, here's the problem. God's telling him, I'm not the problem. Israel's the problem. Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant. Now, that's huge right there because that word covenant is always tied to unity. It's kind of like a marriage covenant. And he said, you've broke the covenant You've broke, God doesn't break the covenant. We break the covenant. So he said, you've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the cursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they've also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel, now I highlight that again, the children, every one of them, they could not stand before the enemies, but they turned their back before the enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. That's judgment. Now it's interesting right here. It says they could not stand before their enemies. I personally believe in that. That is a nugget for me and you. And the reason I say that is, is there are times in your life that you can't stand against your enemies. And if there's times in my life I can't stand against my enemies, could it be because there's some type of, of trespass within my life? I believe this is exactly what he's telling us. But notice he said, listen, you're doomed to destruction. The curse is going to follow you, even though he's the God who said to him, my desire is that you go to a land that flows with milk and honey. So again, we, we can pray blessing all we want. If I have iniquities and trespasses in my heart, it blocks that. So he goes on to say, neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the cursed things from among you. Now when I read that right there, that takes us back to 1 Corinthians 5. Remember what he said? He said, you gotta purge out that junk. You gotta, you gotta get rid of every bit of it. 
In other words, again, the, the Bible's very clear that even if it seems like just a small amount, what's the matter with a little sin? Just long as it's ever now and then. But you begin to see something here in the Bible that they became doomed to destruction. Verse 13, he said, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies and you take away the cursed thing from among you. You know what he said right there? You can't stand against your enemies until the cursed thing is removed. What a nugget of truth for us. So what happens here in these next few verses, and I need to paraphrase just for a second. The Lord instructs Joshua and he says, I want you to bring, bring every tribe of Israel before me. Every one of them. So he gets up early the next morning, sunrise, and he starts parading each camp in front of him. Tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe. Verse 18, same chapter, verse 18. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, the first thing he steals is this Babylonian robe. And there must be something about that robe that Man, I mean, it, it got his attention. I don't know if it was lined with gold, but I'm sitting there thinking, there's a lot of things in my life I'd have taken before a Babylonian robe. I mean, I'd have looked in his closet and found some Jordans, keys to his vet. But I highlight these things right here because remember, we follow the, the desires of our heart. And every one of us in here have things that would pull us. We, we could answer differently. You know, as Americans, we have this statement and we use it a lot and we say, I would die for that. Now, this is how crazy it is. We would say, I would die for a piece of angel food cake. Would you really? I, I, I would die right now for a Krispy Kreme. I, I would and so when you think about those things, every one of us have certain things in our life that just really, really pull on our hearts. So really, we're no different than, than Achan was. We all have things that we desire for, but he doesn't stop there. He goes after this Babylonian robe, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Now, you know what that is? Money, 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 money. He goes after the God of money. He goes after the God of wealth. Now, if we were in that camp, we would probably be in that line too. The truth of the matter is I wouldn't have taken 50 or 100, whatever it took. I'd have doubled down. I'd have had a wheelbarrow load of every bit of it. 
And so when I, I read the things that were a curse, that caused the curse to come on, really we're, we're not any different. So he goes on to say, I coveted them. I desired them. James 1.14. And I took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. They didn't walk, they ran. He said, run, on delay. You know why he was that way? He said, we gotta get those things out of here. We're on a self-imposed curse as long as they're in the camp. So he said, run. Hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and they laid him out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan. Okay, so let me, let me give you a little illustration of what that may look like today. Let me, get, let me get someone that can handle this. Okay, so here's Warren. Warren's the one in our camp right now that has, he's got the Babylonian robe. Warren's got the gold, he's got the silver. And so we bring Warren out and we stand him right here. And every one of us, we get to pray by him. We get to walk by him. We get to look at Warren and say, what kind of stupid are you? When in the reality, we've probably done the very same things that Warren did, we just didn't get caught. And so think about this. This is what happened. So it says, all the camp of Israel, all of Israel, they took Achan. And then they, they bring Achan out. Then it says, the silver, the Babylonian robe, and the wedge of gold. And so they put it all around. Here's Warren standing right down here. And so we got all that right around him. But it doesn't stop there. Look what it goes on to say. His sons, his daughters, oxen, donkeys, sheep, his tent, which was his house, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Accor or Acre, and the word Acre or Accor right there literally means the valley of trouble. Now look what takes place next. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? So I see once again that my choices not only impact me, they choice a lot of folk. And he goes on to say, the Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones and they burned him with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Wow. Now we could look at that and say, that's pretty severe. But because of Achan's choices, 36 men had died already because of what he did. And remember in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Thank God we don't live under the Old Testament or how many of us would be stoned today? Whoo. Now look how this passage ends here in verse 26. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. He turned from his judgment. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. You, you know why they, they made that memorial? Because every time they walked by it, it was a continual reminder of 
They stoned him to death. The, the, the compensation for what took place. So I begin to read that and I think, wow, Lord, they, they stoned him to death. And many believe that his children were conspirers with him. But the biggest thing I found out, it literally said that it had to be the eradication of his entire bloodline. That that bloodline had become so corrupt that they had to eradicate the whole bloodline. I thought, thank God I live under the New Testament. So I'm going to ask you right now to go ahead and take out your communion elements. And I'm just giving you a fair warning. You're on your own when you open that little cup of juice. It is a, it is a, church, it is a shirt messer upper if you're not careful. That's why I'm giving you a little time to get those out. Do, do not partake, okay? I'm, I'm going to go with us on this. So I... I go back to what we've talked about. Is there things that, that is embedded in my heart? Is, is there's little bits of, of leaven in me, just, just a little bit, that needs to be purged out? Do you know, the, 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 the man of God, King David, said this in Psalms 24. He said, Lord, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Literally clean hands were for my outside. A pure heart was for my inside. My sin but my iniquities. Now, everything that I'm going to read here, actually I'm not going to read it, I'm going to quote it. It's all found in 1 Corinthians 11. And the Lord Jesus said, as often as you do this, pertaining to the communion elements, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the Lord Jesus highlighted the bread, which was his broken body, and he highlighted the cup, which was the blood of the lamb. But he went a little farther and he said, don't partake this in an unworthy manner. The unworthy manner was when you mock it. You take something that the Lord meant as sacred and you make it common. You kind of blow it off and say, you know what, I'm, I'm in for a little snack and a little juice. And he said, if you take in an unworthy manner, you would bring judgment upon yourself. And then he went on to clarify what that judgment is. He said, for this reason, many of you are weak, you're sick, and you're asleep, you're at the point of death. Now, if you're born again and you want to partake of this in a worthy manner, I, I welcome you to, but I will highlight this. If you want to make a mockery of it and you want to view this as common, I wouldn't partake of that, okay? I would not do that. Now, here's what I believe with that. If I partake of it in a worthy manner, I honor what you did, Lord Jesus. The opposite takes place. Instead of being weak, you become strong. 
Instead of being sick, you become well. Instead of death, you get life. But I got to take in a worthy manner. I, I got to honor. And so I'm going to ask you to take, take the bread out. And you know what? If, if you feel comfortable, you may want to stand. You may want to kneel. However you feel comfortable doing this. But I'm going to walk us through this because, man, we saw, we saw it in the first surface. It was like the anointing of God came in here because of incredible reverence. And so you may want to close your eyes, kind of block everything out around you. And Father God, you can hold up the bread however you want to do it. Father God, we, we take the bread this morning. And we acknowledge that Lord Jesus is your broken body. We acknowledge the beating, the lashes upon your back. We acknowledge the nails in your hand. We acknowledge the crown of thorns upon your head. And you willingly said, it's my body for their body. Lord, you said in Isaiah 53, 5 that we were wounded, that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by whose stripes we've been made healed. Now, before we partake of this, I'm going to ask you to do something big. We've got to get our hearts right. So before we eat, Father God, take full ownership responsibility for our sins whether they're big small medium Father God we ask you to forgive us we get our hearts right with you right now Lord we don't try to sugarcoat it we don't try to camouflage it Lord we ask you to forgive us right now of our sin we get our hearts right with you Lord Jesus we thank you for the sacrifice that you make now in your heart if you're right with God right now you can break that bread and you can partake of it in the name of Jesus. Father God, we take of the cup right now. The blood you said was for the covenant of the New Testament. And within covenant is unity. And so, Lord, if there's anything within our lives that we've broken covenant with you, we ask you to forgive us of that. We thank you that we are New Testament believers. And so, Father God, right now, we highlight that you said that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood in Hebrews 9. Father God, you said that the blood would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father God, you said in Revelations 12 that the blood of the Lamb would mark us as overcomers. So Father God, just in honor and reverence of what your Son did, everything that the blood was sent for, we protect it right now as we drink in the name of Jesus.
know, just in that atmosphere, if you, if you feel comfortable, just raise your hands here to heaven. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now. Lord, we pray strength. We pray kingdom strength in here. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally right now. That may be you. And I, I believe there's breakthrough in here this morning because of the blood of the Lamb that he said here. And so, Father God, we release that in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray right now that if any are sick, that there would be healing to their physical bodies right now, to their mind, to their emotions. We lose healing in here. That may be you. Father God, we pray that right now. Lord, you said instead of asleep or death, that it would release life right now. Father God, we pray right here, even on live stream, we speak John 10, 10, that you came to give us life and that more abundantly. Lord, we pray that in here. Thank you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you. We give you glory and honor. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to partake of, of the communion elements this morning. Now, this is how we're going to end this service. I believe God wants every one of our homes, every one of our families, come under the blessing today I believe that with all my heart so I don't know if you realize this or not but when we sang the song of the blessing you were singing scripture that's number 6 and it's Exodus 20 both of those is the passages but we're going to have our team come back up here we're going to play we're going we're to praise we're going to worship we're going to sing the blessing song again and you know what you can stand there. You can really make a statement of faith and said, we're, we're coming to the altar. We're going to loose the blessing like never before. We're going to pray that. We're going to believe that. We're going to speak that. And so jump in here. Come on, let's worship God in this last bit, all right?